Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, what's up? I'm Zane. Thanks very much for joining us for another conversation in the interview series. Today, we're not going to waste too much time leading into it because this gentleman needs very little introduction at all. If you like music and effect film, then you're familiar with the incredible work of Hans Zimmer. There are very few composers in the modern age who can capture drama and emotion, violence and peace, all within the same body of music and bring a scene to life working with some of the most incredible visionary film directors and cinematographers in modern cinema. Hans Zimmer's track record is undeniable, but what I wasn't expecting were the stories that you're about to hear as Hans Zimmer takes us through not only his life and legacy, but also some deeply personal experiences making some of the most iconic music for film ever, and we dive into the importance of sound as well. It's all laid out for you right now on the interview series. It's my latest conversation, this time with the iconic Hans Zimmer. Hello. Hi, Hans Zimmer. (laughs) Lovely to meet you, Zane. I'm really glad that I finally get a chance to meet you as someone who, um, to state the obvious, has been a fan of you know your your creative instincts and the work that you do um, in the visual medium. The way that you weave music into cinema is is it's such a magic act. You know, it's it's such a beautiful gift you have to be able to make music feel present and important, but never at the expense of the story. And uh, wow, you've just um, You've given us so much greatness. So thank you, Hans. It's great to meet you. No, thank you. And thank you for the compliment. And um, you're a little bit wrong about the magic act. It's all blood, sweat, toil, and tears to use Churchill. And having a great team around you. And the other thing is always working with directors who are truly inspiring. Yes. So I suck all that in and then spit it out. And that's what happens. All of that is true facts. But there must be something, not to labor the point, there must be moments when you sit there and you listen to the way that the music is interacting in this space that feels, at least feels magic to you, that there is something going on that is drawing these elements together, that this chemistry together, in spite of all of the hard work, which is absolutely true, that there is some kind of magic involved here. I think it's sheer persistence. I think it's, no, it's not just that. It's it's really interesting. It, 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 I, I had this conversation only last night with um, Denis Villeneuve. Um, we, were, we were talking about what it felt like when we first read uh Dune, when we when we were teenagers, he was 13, I think I was 13 or 14. And when we read this book and somehow that how it captured us. And then now I went through life. I never saw the David Lynch movie. I never heard the Toto soundtrack. I never saw the television series because I started to make a movie in my own head and I started to make a soundtrack in my own head as a 13-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this was going to be impossible. Um, and then one day, Denis very quietly asked me, had I ever heard of a book called Dune? And and and, and I answered him, you know, I sort of, I think I scared him. I, I sort of went, oh no, it was, it was a seminal for, for me as a teenager. And, but the way he asked, and it was sort of in his voice, plus plus knowing him, plus, plus trusting him, plus being, you know, being friends. Um, I knew the movie he was going to make was very, going to be very similar to the movie I was going to make. <laughs> It sort of answers your question because there's what, magic what, in that. There is magic in that. Well, it's it's because what we did when when we looked at it, when we finished it, when we were working on it, when we looked at it, it took us back to being that th- those thirteen year old precocious teenagers <laughs> that um, you know that we were fearless. We were fearless and we were reckless. 
and that that that's what you are when you're a teenager. And so and so, <laughs> it, it was written from that perspective. It wasn't written from the perspective of the hindsight of age and wise men. Not that we ever got wise, but um, no. I mean, nobody can be wise who who sets out on the adventure of making a movie because it's always impossible. It's yeah. always an impossible journey. Yeah. You know, and the you know the the the. the Making a movie or writing a score or doing any of these things is the same magic a bumblebee seems to have with that enormous body and those tiny <laughs> wings to be able to lift off, you know. So, so, so it's it's it's. I I think that's that's more the analogy. There's the dedication and persistence of knowing that in your heart and in your mind, you have a soundtrack and a movie to something that captured your imagination. The discipline to not immerse yourself in the story any more than the story you've created for yourself that you want to tell from this book, from the words on the page. But also that idea of magic that really is just by definition defying belief. Defying the belief that you could find yourself with Denis in a situation where it actually worked out. And the two of you found each other with the same passion and were able to make that movie all these years later. Yeah, no, no, true. Uh, but, but you, you know, I think... Um... Like when I, same sort of period of time, I, I was reading a lot of. Um, there's a Swiss author called Friedrich Dürrenmatt, and he wrote a book called The Judge and His Hangman. And you can interpret the title any which way, to turn it around in any which way you want in your mind. But there's a key sentence in it, which is, The criminal attracts the law, which I always thought, <laughs> thought was really interesting. Yeah. And just like. I attracted, didn't, you know, we, we were literally just standing there. It came out of nowhere that he looked at me and he said, have you ever read a book called Dune? And <laughs> so I was the first person on this project. Yeah. You know, and it was like, once I said yes, it, it, it all sort of started to fall into place. You know, and Mary Parent, our producer, she she had since twenty, I think twenty thirteen, she 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 had the rights to the property, and she just, you know, it was really impossible to get it off the ground until there was suddenly that moment where everything came together. Which, you know, look look if we if we talk about magic in broader terms, um, and as you might have figured out, I'm not a great believer in magic, but what I am a great believer in is that the time is right, that human consciousness or human development, you know, we're all roughly at the same stage of what we believe. And all things which seem magical, um, (laughs) you know, only a year ago can be usually explained by science. Mm. But mm. that doesn't mean that the effects that 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 great science and great technology can have on 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 our psyche isn't a magical experience. Isn't a deeply emotional experience. And it is. I mean, the way this music that you've created it, it it makes total sense that the code that unlocked this film was the partnership between you and Denis on this particular project because it's a true collaboration. Usually when you have two creative parties, you know, somebody says, you know, hey, I have an idea, and then you have to explain the idea, and then the other person goes, well, this, uh, they, they modify it, or they want to change it, or they think it's just a terrible idea, or they think it's a good idea, whatever. So the, a discussion evolves. With Denis and, and me on this movie, it, it kept being... Nobody would say, hey, I have an idea. Somebody would start a sentence and the other person would finish it. And 
It's 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 a it's a, it's a funny thing. We we actually we, there's a there's a there's a longer story to all of this, which uh, you know, which is from the previous movie from from Blade Runner twenty forty nine, mm. where um, the first time Denis was uh, Denis showed it to me here in my here in my room in front of my keyboard. Um, when I got to the when we got to the end of it, rather than turning around and speaking to him. I just started to play, so 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 my response to the to to what he just showed me was in my language, and my language is music, and my language is uh, is to me um, incredibly clear. And I am far look here. You have a German speaking to you in English, when really the the language I can be articulate in is music, and that's that's really what you're telling me is mm. that partly what that is what came across that it and and you know look I, I, I love that Bernstein interview um, uh, the, you know the Harvard lectures where he's trying to explain to all these smart pretentious kids um, Beethoven's pastoral symphony and he finally says look Beethoven didn't write about milkmaids and cows <laughs> you know it's that's not what music does but yeah. it's 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 a feeling and it, it, it is and, a feeling it's emotions and it, these it are, is these are things which which are abstract and at the same time they seem to mean an enormous amount to us and what we musicians deal in is an a, abstraction that sort of gets to complete you Com- complete the experience, complete the immersion in yourself. It's been, for the most part, my life's work. My life's passion has been to try to find ways to speak that language and help artists to translate it into a way that others can understand. Because to your point, it's a unique language that's that's better served in the studio or in the creative space, in a space where it meets the music and then the music gets done and I'm trying to translate it. And there's that famous sort of quote that talking about music is like dancing about architecture. But as somebody who speaks better through the musical language to someone who tries to translate that, how do you best communicate with your team? How do you find your most effective doing that? Oh, easy. See, it's really easy. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the secret because you already know the secret. The operative word in music, after all, is play. We play music, and everybody I know—I mean, I'm, I'm literally—I'm just—I'm just getting ready right now. I mean, I'm going crazy, um, getting my next tour together and getting all my musicians in place. And what are we going to do? And we're doing this, and we're doing a bit of that, and etc. And I'm looking at them, and I'm—I I realize that they all, in one way or the other, they all started playing music way before they started learning anything else. <laughs> they were. Tiny, tiny children when they yes. either started banging on things, or you know, in the case of Tina Guo, my cellist, you know, she she was four years old when she started playing the violin, and then it became the cello, etc. So there the, the is this, you know, it's, it's it's like the old joke, you know, mummy, mummy, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to become a musician, and the mother says, oh, darling, I'm so sorry, you can't do both. Um, the, the, the <laughs> I never is, heard that the, before. Hans, that's a good one. Hans, but, that's a good but, one. <laughs> but there is something, there's truth to it. You know, like all jokes have, have, a, have a hidden truth. It's true. Um, and the truth is that 
we just we worked very hard at becoming more playful at maintaining playfulness and we mm. you know ev even when life oh, look and you know you don't know more stories about tragic musicians and you know and, and, and i mean there's a there's a you know like you can find a timeline of Schubert's, you know, life where he would go into depressive periods and where he would go into euphoric periods and what he wrote when, etc. So there's all that. But but at the same time, when we sit down with other musicians and we start playing, and the other cool thing is, of course, what we do is it's not about it's not just about how well you play your instrument, it's how well you listen to everybody else. I'm pretty good friends with someone who you've collaborated with and has done shows with you with Mike Einzinger from the band, most notably from the band yeah. Incubus. Now, everybody knows that Mike is an incredible musician and and also an incredible brain. I mean, Mike, yeah, Mike, absolutely. Will, Mike will spend a lot of time trying to invent new tech solutions as much as he will probably, if not more, than he practices his instrument. But but I but all of that aside, that that all looks well, good. Well, hang on. He gave up the band. You know, the band is at the height of their success. Yeah. And he goes... I'm going to go to Harvard. I know, I know, I know. And <laughs> this know? is this is very, very much in Mike's wheelhouse. Now, on yeah. paper, if you put Hans Zimmer in a room with somebody, it's going to be someone like Mike who makes those kind of decisions right. and is curious and searching for a deeper experience in life. But it's more than that, Hans. And what I'm asking you is, what, what, why do you decide to work with a Mike? What makes Mike attractive to you from a creative and collaborative standpoint? I'm just going to stick with what you originally said and answer everything in those terms. Um, Mike and I are great believers in, in in integrating technology, for instance, into into our work. I mean, which which seems so obvious, but it's not because the 20th century somehow um, made a great divide between the or the orchestra and orchestral instruments, and you know computers and synthesizers and all that stuff. Yes. And Mike was a guitarist, and I started out as a lame guitarist. But we, we realized that every instrument is a, is a piece of technology of its time. The violin is technology of its time. The church organ, you know, I mean, Interstellar, I did a lot of research, actually, that what that means, I, I spent the morning reading, reading, <laughs> up on, re, reading up on big pipe organs. But, but the thing that got me was, by the beginning of the 17th century, the church organ was not only completed as design, as technological design, mm. but it was the most complicated piece of human engineering. Mm. And it was in the service of music. And it, it stayed as the most complicated, most fabulous piece of um, human technology until the telephone exchange. Um, so these ideas that that technology and music have to go hand in hand. The, the development of music mm. has to go hand in hand. I agree with that. And if I could add something to that, I remember when the computer was first mass manufactured and, and ended up being in everyone's rooms, in the living rooms, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the great Steve Jobs era of making it available to all. And I remember that you would go to the computer and you would you would have, you know, some variation of the email and you would have, you know, some interesting icons and a few things you could play with. But very quickly you had music software. It was one yeah. of the first significant developments in the computer age. It wasn't anything else. Music software came quickly. Here's Master Tracks Pro. Here's a version of Cubase. These things made themselves available very quickly. So it's like music is generally, for the most part, and I've done a lot of research too, which means I probably spent about an hour on this on the, on the internet. Uh, music is, for the most part, generally 
first through the wall. Whether it's triumphant or, or bloodied and bruised, it's first through the wall. Absolutely. Well, well, you know, like, like for instance, all the mistakes we made originally in digital recording. Digital recording inherently wasn't bad. Um, yes, the A to Ds and the D to As weren't that great, but but it took a while for us to figure out how to actually use this. You know, yeah. it's like you you have to learn technology in one way or the other, and I don't mean by reading a book or like what you and I do, get go on the internet and spend a bit of time. Um, it's 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 a more instinctive learning where you where you where you figure out how far you can push the thing. Where's the sweet spot? Yes, which is why the 80s gave us, to me, some of the weirdest, most wonderful pop songs of all time because nobody, including yourself, truly knew how to use a synthesizer. So every decision you made was pure instinct. There was no diligence. Nearly true. I did actually know how to use a synthesizer. No one, and, Hans, and, and, no, no, no one truly and, knows and, how to use a synthesizer because a synthesizer uses you. And you know that. You could turn around to that bank of things and take one plug out and put it in another thing and it's not going to do the same thing twice. You know no, that, that. That is absolutely, that, uh, that is absolutely correct. But hang on, that doesn't mean I don't know how to use it. It <laughs> means that the stochastian element, the, yes. this sort of randomness, is something that I embrace. And, you know, I know that filter over there is a bit more wobbly and a bit, you know, a bit more temporary. <laughs> so I go there the willing. Other. I go there willing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I started making music with computers long before Steve Jobs made the Lisa or the uh, or, yeah. or the Mac, you know, the two E or whatever yeah. it was. Um, I started off with this thing called the Roland Microcomposer, <laughs> and I had sixteen K of memory, <laughs> and. Um, and that was like that was the big version, right? Wow. Um, and it cost four hundred thousand euros or dollars uh, well, to buy. Well, it, yeah, no, no, it, it doesn't matter how much it cost, but I, but the, but the price was exactly what I couldn't afford. Hmm. So I had to get really good on it. I had to really learn it, and I had to make a living with it. Hmm. And I had to go um, because I had to pay. I had to pay my my bank loan back. You know, but but I, but I, but I realized that this thing, this this computer, it, it wasn't about being the future. It was actually more about giving me autonomy, about getting the getting that 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 stuff that's in my head out, you know, into speakers. You talked about Christopher Nolan, and um, and obviously you've forged a wonderful creative. Uh, you know, relationship with him um, and the work that you've done together, again, just absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I wonder, you know, what from a, from your perspective, what you appreciate most about him as a collaborator and what inspires you the most when you work together? Well, it's this, this just goes back to, it doesn't matter if it's Mikey Einzinger or Chris Nolan, Pharrell Williams. I'm not trying to drop names. I'm just saying, I love being in the room with smart people, with people who are smarter than me, you know, who give me impossible problems. I mean, uh, you, you know that story how we did uh, Interstellar. Do, do you know how we started that? For those that don't, I, I have a... F okay, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it quickly, right? Thank you. Chris and I are notoriously bad at going to parties or being, you know, but sometimes you have to. Um, so, so, so we were, as usual in a corner, ignoring everybody else and talking about whatever we were talking about. And, and, and Chris, Chris suddenly looked at me and he said, um, I have this idea. If I were to send you a letter with a story, but 
it's about a movie, but I'm not going to tell you what the movie is about, nor will the, the story in the letter tell you what the movie is about. Will you give me one day and write whatever comes to you? And so, yeah, great idea. Sounds sounds like fun. And he, he was great. He phoned the director I was working with at the time up and said, is it okay if Hans has, you know, if Hans devotes Sunday to this this idea? And this letter arrived and it was thick paper and it was typewritten. It was I know I know it was written on Chris's father's typewriter. So, you know, it was very personal. And the story itself was about a father and a son and the relationship or what it means to be a parent. I mean there was a there's a line in it that, you know, once your child is born, you you never look at yourself through your own eyes. You always look at yourself through your child's eye. So, so it was very personal and it was very moving. And I wrote this fragile and oh one other thing. Chris knows my son, Jake, very well. Mm. Not him forever, mm. obviously. Mm. Um, so so I knew he was really writing about my son and myself. And and so I wrote this this fragile, tiny little piece and finished about 10 o'clock at night and found his house. And his wife, Emma, answered. And I'm saying, well, I, th- I think I got something. Um, do, you, do you want me to send it over? And she goes, well... Chris is curiously antsy. Do you mind if he comes down? I'm going, no, of course, get him to come down. And he came down and, 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 you know, I said, yeah, do you want, do you want to hear it? He goes, yeah, go and play it. And he just sat behind me. I can't look at anybody when I play them something for the first time, you know, just in case a slither of disgust appears on their face. Um, but anyway, I'm playing it. To, I played it to him. Get to the end of it. And I turn around and I say, so so, what do you think? And he pauses for a second, looks around, and he looks at me and goes, hmm, suppose I better make the movie. I'm going, yeah, what is the movie? All I've done is I've done this fragile little, little th- thing, you know, and he starts talking about space. He starts talking about space travel. He starts talking about interstellar. He starts talking about time. He starts talking about huge rockets. He starts... And finally, I'm going, stop, stop, hang on. You're talking about this e- things of epic proportions. And I've given you this tiny, tiny little fragile thing. Um, he goes, yeah, but now I know where the heart of the story is. Wow. Can I ask one question? Did that piece yeah, of music on. that you wrote, that delicate piece of music, is that what we hear? Is that that wonderful little color um, that floats through the it's movie? It's there all the time. Hang on a second. If I can find a piano in front of me, I can sort of probably play it. Let's see if this works. Oh my God. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. Yeah, I have to tell you that uh, as a parent, that, that, that you achieved your goal. Thank you. Because the first time I watched that film, that piece of music didn't just hit me from a, the point of view of each scene or the relationship between the characters or the moment and the narrative when it truly mattered, that piece of music hit me as a parent. And I didn't know the story that you just told us. And so you truly did capture the relationship between parent and child in that music. And I'm sorry, Hans, I know that you're a bit skeptical, but to me, that is magic. Thank you. To me, that is... My ambition, my my ambition is to figure out, 
You know, there, there are all these things we can explain in words. There are all these things we can explain in numbers, in you know, mathematical and in, in science. There's all this stuff we can go and explain in pictures. But, like, for instance, the love I feel for my kids, I can say it, but it doesn't mean anything. Everybody else says it. But there comes a moment where I want to be really specific about it. And then the, that, the only time I can do that is when I, when I sit and play. And for instance, um, my daughter Annabelle, um, you know, I get little texts from her going, Daddy, can we play music tonight? And I know, I know what she needs is to, to just feel that, feel that closeness that, that that conversation just can't do. You know, or a hug. It's beyond a hug at that moment. You know, yeah. And so, and so, uh, you know, there is a look. People think computers are complicated pieces of technology, but look at a piano. So it's, it's an incredible endeavor of of you know technological mastery. You know, Cristofiori, the man who built the piano forte, or you know, the guys who built. The church organ. And so, so like in Interstellar, it was really important. Chris and I sat down and we made a list of everything we had done in movies before and we didn't want to do again. And Chris actually at one point said, what about pipe organ? And, you know, and I instantly saw, you know, like the, just the shape of the pipes is like rockets. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes. it's like, like, you know, those, those old, Movies you see of a Saturn rocket taking off. I mean, I feel like Chris created that in the time-space continuum. I felt like I was inside the pipe organ in the Royal Albert Hall. Oh yeah, yeah. We, no, we, we did, we did. Uh, yeah, and then, then Roger, our organist, at one point said, very, "He's a very quiet, very decent, and humble man, even though he's a genius." He said, "You know, the pipe organ at the Albert Hall is in very good condition." You know, and, and and Chris and I were just going, ding, <laughs> concert. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know, speaking of space, it's a tidy little segue into the idea of, of space and sound. And uh, you know, we've spent the last sort of 12 months preparing and then ultimately executing upon this this idea of what spatial audio means to us and why we're so excited. I'm very excited about it and I feel in the hands of the creators in the years to come, it will be something that will be factored in from inception, no pun intended, uh, and not, yeah. not necessarily just from mixed strategy. And and I think about someone like yourself who has been on the, at the forefront of merging these, these wonderful on paper disparate elements together and the last frontier is how it sounds and how far we can take it and, how, what, and what a wonderful room this is that, that we can now exist in, right? Much broader, and, 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 and it must mean a lot to you to know that we're there. Well, can I tell you a story? Please. I love your stories, Hans. I yeah, love your right, stories. Here, here comes a story. Okay. I never listen to my soundtracks um, because usually they're in stereo. I don't think you can see, you can see in this room right now, um, but... I basically, I'm always in, you know, I always work in surround, you know. So as soon as, as soon as the thing becomes an MP3 or, or whatever it is, and, and we are just in stereo and the immersive quality goes by the wayside, I don't want to hear it anymore because you took, you, you know, you took half of my sonic world away. So in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of working on Dune, I'm sent a gift by Joni Ive, a pair of headphones. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and we have this weird relationship. We've never met. But we we have this weird relationship where he sends me something, just with a little note going, I made this. And then I write, you know, as a thank you note, I write a little tune by hand and I send that back to him. And so it's like things we made. I love right? it. And so these headphones arrive and I put them on and they're amazing. And, and, and you know, and I suddenly realize, oh, we can do immersive. We can do Dolby Atmos. We can do all this. And I phone my friends at Dolby and I say, we have to do this. I, I want to go and do the whole soundtrack again. And I certainly want to do the CD CDs again. I want to do all this, this immersive experience. And I phoned Denis Villeneuve and I phoned all my guys and go, you got to listen to these headphones, to which I, of course, get the reply, well, they don't actually exist. I think you have the only pair. So there was a little <laughs> bit of that going on. When Johnny but, said he made this, what he means yeah. was he actually was down in his basement and he made this and then he sent it to you. Which well, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't think he meant it quite like this, but he was, he was very <laughs> proud. Well, so anyway, what happened was, Yes, we figured out how to go and do it. We, we, you know, we actually got all the Dolby people together to really help us to figure out how to do uh, immersive atmos, etc. We, we managed to get some more headphones, and, and I, I, rem I, I remember, you know, having sent some tracks to Denny, and he was just listening to it, you know, and he's going, "Yeah, it's nice." And then he got the headphones, and it was. I just got one note back, and it was. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> I just and I also so, you know the thing so, is the thing so, is I also I love that you are so open and honest about the way that your relationship with your music, once it had been distributed, was challenging for you. Most artists, if I'm honest, are finding a yeah. transition into spatial something they have to figure out because they're used to two track. You never embraced it. Because you always imagined more. No, I wanted to get into films because I wanted to get into films. It wasn't just the storytelling. It wasn't just the images. It wasn't just you can actually make a living in film. It was surround. The world is surround. I, I felt immersive could be as big a step forward as mono to stereo was mm. in its time. Mm. I um, agree. I agree. And what, what does it mean? It, it means you have the opportunity to exist in a world that, that you create or you, somebody creates for you and, and, and back to magic, you know, suddenly it is magic. It is magic. And so, so, so we are way into this score and I'm going, Stop the presses. Stop everything. We're starting again. And then I actually had to actually do it again. I had to do stop the presses a second time. Why? Because of you guys, Apple. <laughs> because what what we didn't have was we didn't know that you were developing your own algorithm, uh, own immersive algorithm. And so once we had your algorithm and we played our thing through it, mm. it sounded terrible. It mm. didn't work. I mm. mean, it was totally, because we just didn't know. Um, mm. So we had to go and do a little digging and find the right people at your shop that shall all remain nameless, who in the middle of the night would go and help us adjust our code until the thing actually worked. But this is what's needed because I think when this, when Spatial first arrived, 
because we're conditioned to think this way now as human beings, we think that everything comes with a ribbon on it and it's presented to us and it's it's as complete as it can be and enjoy the product. And I, and I think what excited me so much about Spatial was that every challenge that was faced and 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 every solution that was found has to come from the creative. It has to come from the artist. Exactly. So it's investment by process. It's investment by process, right? It has to right, be. Exactly. And then I wrote back to Tony and I'm going, I'm really sorry it took so long to send you a thank you note. But this is what happened. You know, I, I actually, I wrote an hour and a half of new new music that was all instigated and created because of your headphones. So suddenly the consumer part of the headphones was totally unimportant. It was the creative part. They suddenly became a creative tool. And I thought that was really, mm. actually really interesting. And 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 th then I got a I note agree. back from him going, well, that's what I was secretly hoping. That's what I was hoping all along, that it would inspire. Because, because I'm hoping that that is what's, what's happening. And it has. You know? And I'm hoping that, um, you know, I, I know you've now, uh, you know, put your algorithm into logic, which I think is, is, is um, I was going to say it's genius, but it's actually, it's not genius. It's something far more. It's, it's, um, you, you get to change the world. You get to change the way we're communicating. You get to change the way we're, yeah. It's evolutionary is what it is. And it, it, it puts it in the hands of the creative and a chance for us to start thinking more broadly and, and from the point of, of ideation rather than, it was always going to start with the mixes. And then after that, it's like, okay, how do we absorb it and adopt it even more? And, and, I, and I think it's going to change the way people actually approach their creative process. And sound has, for the longest time, sound hasn't had that opportunity. We've seen technology change that. We've seen even social media and the distribution of the arts and the way that streaming has stepped in now and the speed at which you can put music out has changed the yeah. way that we make music. It's changed the quality of music in terms of sound. But sound has not actually been at the forefront of that for a long time. No, it hasn't been at the forefront because because I think, uh, I think in a peculiar way, well, well, there are two issues, of course. I mean, one is, you know, it, it's it's um, sound and latency are not friends of each other, and you know, um, I mean, I run huge computer networks here, and um, I don't know if you know, but we built our own sampler. I mean, we we literally wrote the software for our own sampler because nothing out there in the world um, could do what I wanted to do because not, uh, at the time, nothing could do um, five point one. Uh, and you know, just to get to, just to get geeky and techy, mm. you know, um, the, the the sampling we were doing, we have an additional layer in there which has thirty two microphones or available or more, and then it's the next layer down, which is your five point one or your seven point one or whatever you want, etc. So, so but but everybody was saying to us, um, no problem, just get you know, there's very powerful computer systems. Get you know, the the medical profession has very the medical profession doesn't care about latency. They don't care that their powerful computers don't really work in real time. It's it's crunching numbers over time. So we so we need real time. I mean, the conversation we are having right now is not in real time. I mean, if 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 you and I try to to make music together right now, it it 
God, James Brown would go and shoot us because the because the groove would be so off. <laughs> he would. He'd be finding us left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. We'd all be broke by the end of the session. <laughs> but but do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's like. It's, 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 it's so there's no pocket what you're saying is there's no pocket with latency you cannot get into a space where the true representation of the chemistry you're trying to create the art you're trying to create can exist when you are at the mercy of technology oh, no, absolutely. and it's control over time right now we're, we're both on camera and we're looking each other in the eyes but we're not really looking each other in the eyes um, and and um, no. No, because we're not in real time. So I can't really tell what, what your nanosecond emotional reaction is to something. Well, and, I mean, you probably saw me basically crying before when we were talking about being parents. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah, I know, came but, through. But, but, and I was not going to mention that, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Thank but, you. But, but, but you, remember, we are, we, are, we, are, we are at the shallow end of the gene pool, the musicians, when it comes to what are, what are we going to build all this technology for? Um it's consumerism as opposed to create, uh, creating. It's um, accountancy and medical and, mm -hmm. and getting rockets to Mars and mm -hmm. whatever you have. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not it's not your humble violinist really that is the, uh, at the, the forefront benefit. of the mind of the creator. Yeah. Um, and that's why I got really excited about what Joni was sending me. Yeah, because it it felt. It just felt like he he was giving me a tool that I didn't expect to have, and I I need it. Hans, I, I I'm going to ask you one more question for now, but in the hope that we get to pick this up at some point and continue to con to, to converse because it's I've I've had such a blast uh, chatting Good. with you. Uh, and uh, I wanted to finish here. You know, as somebody who I have a friend of mine called Rufio, uh, who makes music under the name Isnick, and mm. you may you may know him, you may not. Um, and uh, He's, he's making a transition into working in this space and starting to learn and, and grow in the scoring space and and uh, very smart, very intelligent, not dissimilar to Mikey Einzinger, technologically curious, but very talented young guy. And, uh, and I'm fascinated by that move from making music in the more established construct, which is where you began writing pop songs, changing the world, one three and a half minute pop song at a time, Moving into a space now where you get to collaborate with directors in environments where you can create scores like Dune, which on its own terms is one of the most remarkable bodies of work I've ever heard, let alone attached to the movie. Thank you. That transition from working in, in what is expected in music into a place as groundbreaking as, as scoring and moving in, in, in different spaces, what advice do you have for people who, who, who want to go and do that? First of all, you're not a musician, you're a dramatist. You know, um, you are a storyteller and everybody takes for granted that you can play your instrument or that you can, that you can knock out a decent tune. So nobody cares about, did you go to Berkeley or did you do anything like that? What, what they're interested in is, are you a good storyteller? Secondly, are you a good collaborator? In other words, your band needs to include your editor and your director and your writer sometimes. And for me, very importantly, um, the director of photography, because frequency is frequency, right? So, so, so whatever color palette he uses, you know, I somehow need to reflect in the in, in the music I'm using. So, so he's a big clue. I mean, with Chris, it was always like Chris would tell me the story of whatever we wanted to do. But what, what he had in mind, and then the next thing would be he would take me to go and meet with the DP and and look at the color palette, 
um, this this doesn't quite tell you how to get in. It tells you what's necessary to to be a part of this. I mean, re- remember I used to work with Trevor Horn in the in the in the late seventies, and mm-hmm. we did a song called "Video Killed the Radio Star." Mm-hmm. And really, what that was, it was the first video on MTV, and it, because what we really wanted to do, we wanted to make movies, you know, <laughs> um, and. There was there was always this thing, you know, like 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 movies could do certain things. Um, I mean, look in the seventies, everything was little transistor radios, etc., um, and the Walkman. But um, but it was little speakers. I like making a big noise with big speakers. I mean, it's um, so cinema allowed allowed for that. But you know, which is sort of a flippant thing to say. But it's like. I grew up as a you know like as a little kid going and seeing symphony orchestras and seeing rock bands, so, so seeing everything, experiencing music in a sort of a, total, a totality, and then finding that that uh, recording is a very different thing to performing. I mean, uh, when we make a record, it is not the same as actually witnessing a performance or being part of a performance. And what mm. interested me was how can we bridge that gap? You know, if you, if you sit next to a great piano player and they're just playing, it's 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 an extraordinary experience. When you get the same recording, it might be a good recording. It's not the same experience. It's it's you know the, the, you lessen the experience. So one of the things, one of my ways just you know because i was hungry for it for the experience was oh the images and the story complete the music which is not really what you want to say to your director thank mm. you for making this movie it completes mm. my music mm. very nice <laughs> yeah. um but there's there's a there's a part of truth in it um and then you know just just the simple idea that somebody goes let's let's use this one um the dark night you know, Chris comes and goes because after we did Batman Begins, um, he never thought. Of, you know, it, it, it never occurred to me that we would do another movie. And he came over and he said, "I got this idea." And he said, "The Dark Knight." And it's, you know, those words. As soon as you, you hear those words, you go, Evocative. "Whoa!" Yeah. I, you know, the, the, I, I can hear the music. I can do this. I know. I, I know. Uh, you know, it's inspiring. That sound that you came up through the Dark Knight. And you what, know, the Joker thing. Oh, you <laughs> know it. That tone, that tone, that simple, tense, foreboding, just high pitched tone that just <laughs> is constantly flowing through that movie is so incredible and so inspiring, Hans. Just to hear the way that 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 that. How did you? It took forever. I mean, I mean <laughs> this is the other thing. It's so simple, right? It, it's so simple, but it took forever. I mean, it's it's my friend Martin Tillman on the cello, and it took. Uh, first of all, you know, here's here's a great classically trained cellist who knows how to play a thousand notes a second, yeah. um, beautifully, and I'm asking him to do this inhumanly slow glide, and every time he does it, it sounds like he's acting. I can tell he, it's not real. It's just like he, it's, it's, uh, he understands the concept, but it's not. Yeah. It doesn't come from a place of yeah. committed truth, right? So I wrote him 
so I wrote him a piece which was like a thousand notes and it was really hard to play and it was really fast and it was really <laughs> agile and I made him play it all day all day all day all day until his fingers hurt and then I said um, can we just tune up can you just give me a just give me a tuning note and he was so tired and he was so you know I, I had tortured him I mean you know I'm not saying you know wringing uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm 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 a nice human being. You're not a bad person, Hans. You're not a bad person. You just knew how to get the committed I, truth. I had to get it. You know, I had to get it. And I had to have him not think about it, and I had to have him not. Wow. You know, it's like you don't you don't you, you don't want to see the the hand of the artist at work. You just you just want to have the thing. You know, so he was so tired, and he was so played out with fast notes, and that was that. I think that's probably the best ending to an interview I could possibly ask for. That was that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you've had anywhere even even a quarter as much fun as I've had. But I have I had did. the time I of did. my life uh, diving inside a really broad array of subjects, and uh, I feel like we've just got started. So I cannot wait to talk with you again, and I hope we get a chance to build on this. Oh, absolutely. And have a wonderful day. Be well. Take yeah, care, thanks, man. You're the Bye. best. Thanks to Hans Zimmer for taking some time and sharing so openly with me on the interview series. And thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, please add a comment or a rating right here. And the next conversation coming in is an all-time moment for me. Someone whose music has traveled with me throughout my entire life and been a constant soundtrack, Neil Young, will be my guest on the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Take care.